Thanks, my bride of almost 36 years <laughs> and enduring the pain of it. <laughs> hey, we're finishing up, like my bride said, a, a series called Relationships 101, a refresher course we all need. And you know what I thought about is for this morning, let's do a refresher course on the relationship that's probably the most important relationship that we'll ever develop, and that's our relationship with God. So let me start with two critical words this morning. Instant pot. Instant pot. Are you familiar with the instant pot? The instant pot has revolutionized pressure cooking in my kitchen. It's, um, it's one of those devices that has just transformed um, the way I cook. Um, uh, it's, a, it's a great distance from the way my mom used to cook. My mom used to cook. <laughs> How many remember those, those old pressure cookers that you'd, you'd, you'd uh, put them on the stove and they had, this, they had this handle that you would clamp t- together and they had the steam, steam knob on the top that would jiggle and, and put off steam the whole time and, and it, it was nerve-wracking. I mean, I, would, I, would, I wouldn't go through the kitchen when I was a kid because the pressure associated with pressure cooking just got to me. How reliable is this thing and, and how awkward it seems. So I wouldn't walk through the kitchen. I'd kind of run through the kitchen while the pressure cooker was cooking. Um, and it was one of those nerve-wracking, is this thing going to be okay? Is everything going to come out okay? Is it, is it going to explode um, kind of relationships with this pressure cooker? And, and then... Instant Pot. And pressure cooking was revolutionized. It was, it was transformed. Uh, the old had gone, and the new had come, which is a transition into something that one of the writers of Scripture wrote years ago. But what's interesting about this passage of Scripture, when it was written, it wasn't yet scripture. It wasn't part of the Bible. It, it was a letter that was written by a fellow by the name of Paul who had had an experience with a person by the name of Jesus Christ. And so what he's doing is he's writing to a church a personal letter, a, a letter of transparency, a, a letter that was near and dear to his heart because some things had taken place in his life that had transformed, had revolutionized his life, uh, so much so that he began to be someone who was a Jesus follower. And, and this, is what, this is what he writes in 2 Corinthians 5, 16. It says, so from now on, regard no one from a worldly point of view. Let's take a time out for just a second. So from now on, has anybody ever said that to you? So from now on, what are they saying? We're, they're saying that, that we used to do something this way, but from now on, we're going to do it that way. And, and what Paul is saying here, so from now on, something, something is old. Something is not going to be repeated anymore. We're going to do something in a completely different fashion than, than we've ever done it. And I've heard, so from now on, from my dad, I heard it more than once. So from now on, son, I don't want you doing it this way. I want you doing it this way. And that's what, that's what Paul's setting us up for in this, in this personal letter. He's, saying, he's setting us up saying, so from now on, 
from, from this point forward, there's something, there's something new because we're leaving something old behind. And, and what he says is we're, we're going to, from this point on, we're not going to ever regard anyone. We're not going to regard anyone from simply a worldly point of view. What, what does that mean? It, it means that just simply looking at people and making an evaluation about them isn't going to work anymore. So from now on, we're not going to look at anybody as just a, a worldly person. We're not going to look at them based on how they dress or how they look or how they respond or how they judge or how they live their lives. What we're going to do is we're going to take a step back. We're going to take a step back, and we're going to look at people differently from now on. And, and then he says, though, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we don't do it anymore. So he's, he's saying that the reason we shouldn't look at people the way we used to look at people anymore is because we don't look at Christ or Jesus the way we used to look at him anymore. So he's, he's, telling, us, he's telling a story about something that, that transformed his life. And in, in the process of, of writing this, there, he's saying when it comes to looking at people, there's something richer and deeper than what we see at face value. And he says the same is true of Christ because we once regarded him simply at face value. Why don't we do it anymore? Because Paul knew about the resurrection. See, we don't, we don't regard Jesus simply as a mere person anymore because if he was a mere person, he would have he died and he would have been buried and he would have stayed there. But since he wasn't a mere person, since he did, did, did die, since he was buried, however there was a transformation, he was risen, he was resurrected. And so we can't look at him the way we used to look at him because we didn't used to think that there was anything uh, transformational about him as a person. And, and, and so the idea here is this. R remember, there's no Bible. There's just this letter. From, from Paul to a church. And, and what he's doing is he's reflecting on a previous letter that he already wrote called 1 Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians, he spends all of, all of one chapter in that, in that particular letter talking about the resurrection of Jesus. He says if there is no resurrection, then there's no hope at all. And what he wants us to do this morning is to say there's, there's something about there is something about this person of Jesus that is no longer going to be regarded in the old way. We have to regard it in a new way. And, and it goes on. He says this in 2 Corinthians 17. He says, so then, so, so then what? So then since there's been a resurrection, since, since Jesus is no longer in the grave, since there's been a transformational difference in how we perceive people, he says this, if anyone, if who? If anyone is in Christ, the person is part of the new creation. And, and, it, and it literally means he or she is a new creation. The old things have gone and the new things have arrived. Let's all say that together, okay? The old things have gone away, and look, new things have arrived. That's us. That we, 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 are on the, we are on the other side of the resurrection. 
in, in, in previous times, people were looking forward to this person that was the, the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And now, now Paul is writing, long before there's any Bible, he's saying, this has already happened. The, the transformation has already come. The old things have gone away and the new things the new things are here. The new things have arrived. We're here this morning to celebrate the new things. What, what were the old things? Let me, let me explain it. The old things were the pressure cooker way of religion. The old way was the anxiety and the awkwardness of, of the way things used to be before Christ. Because before Christ, there, there was something that took place. People were always on edge about whether they were good enough, whether they had done enough, whether they had been enough before God. And, and maybe, that's where, maybe that's where you are. Maybe sometimes you, you steer away from church or you haven't been to church for a while because you're, you're afraid. Because you're afraid you haven't been good enough or you haven't done enough or you haven't proven enough to be worthy before, before God. And, and what Paul is saying here is all that pressure-filled stuff is gone. All the things that you used to think about w- with regard to people and what makes them right or what makes them okay with God, all of that has disappeared. And what's come is something brand new. I mean, have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like, well, gosh, you know, the... the all religion is about all these do's and all these don'ts. Don't look over there. Don't go over there. Don't hang around with these people. Don't wear the wrong things. Um, don't, don't, don't. Or maybe you think it's about all the things you haven't accomplished, like I haven't read enough, I haven't prayed enough, I haven't given enough, I haven't served enough. All this kind of stuff kind of weighs down on you, and, and you feel this pressure, this pressure that, that I'm, not, I'm really not fit or I really don't have a good standing before, before God. And... And Paul, writing to a church much, much like the rock, he, he basically says, stand down. St- stand down from all of the anxiety and all of the awkwardness and all of the pressure that you might feel because you don't feel like you're good enough. The, the old things... The old things used to produce this. Am am I good enough? Am I okay with God? When will I know? Who will tell me? When will the light come on? And, and, And Paul's saying, from now on, I'm not gonna, God isn't gonna regard you in that way. Because we don't, we don't regard Christ any longer that way. And, and what's interesting is that, that Paul, Paul had sort of a, well, not sort of, but he, he had a dual citizenship. Paul, Paul, was, Paul called himself a Hebrew of Hebrews, which, and at one point in his life, he was called uh, Saul of Tarsus, and Saul of Tarsus was, was a Pharisee, and, the, and as a Pharisee, he knew all the rules, he knew all the laws, he knew all the do's, and he knew all the don'ts. As a matter of fact, uh, Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul, um, had memorized the first five books of the Bible, so he knew, he knew the, the Jewish law, he knew the Hebrew law inside and out. And what he's saying is that all, all the stuff that I cut my teeth on, all the things 
things of religion that I was born with, all the things that I, that I used to teach, all the things that used to be part of my life are no longer part of my life because all of that is gone and this new revolutionary transformational thing has come and his name is Jesus and he's the Christ, he's the Messiah, he's the son of the living God. And, and so he primarily wrote, Paul did, he primarily wrote to, to the Gentiles because he was not only a Hebrew of Hebrews, but he was a Roman citizen. And so he, he communicated primarily with, with Gentiles. And so who communicated with the Hebrews? Because there was this, there was this thought that, you know, in, in order to be someone that followed Jesus, you not only had to follow Jesus, but you had to keep all of the Old Testament laws and all of the Old Covenant laws that, that were put in place. So it was, it, was, it was, you know, adding Jesus to your Jewishness. And, and that, that, isn't what was, that isn't what was said. What was said was, Paul was saying that all of that is gone. And there's, a, there's another writer who wrote a book called Hebrews. And I, I want to show you Hebrews uh, for just a second. And, and I, I know this is more reading than normal today, but I want you to know that I know you can get this because this is so good, all right? Now listen. So the writer to the Hebrews, not, not, not the Gentiles, the writer to the Hebrews, the, the nation that had cut its teeth on the Old Testament law, the nation that, had, that had knew all the commandments, the writer to the Hebrews says this. He says, the law possessed only a dim outline of the benefits Christ would bring and did not actually produce them. So we have a writer that's, that's telling, telling the Hebrews now that the, the old is gone and, and the new has come because the, the law was only a dim outline of the reality that was going to arrive. Consequently, now look at this. Consequently, it was incapable of perfecting the souls of those who offered their regular annual sacrifices. What was the old way? The, the old way was, was cumbersome. It was awkward. It was archaic. It was pressure-filled. But it's what God implemented for a period of time. What, what, what God said was that in, in order for you to be okay with me, I want you annually to sacrifice an animal I want its blood shed so that for another year you would be in good standing with me. And it kept going year after year after year after year. It would be like us today. If, if the law was still in its place, you and I on once a year would have to go to... Um, a rancher or a shepherd and say, I want a perfect lamb. And then you would pick out the perfect lamb and you would put the perfect lamb underneath your arm. And then you would bring it, if it was still in effect today, you would bring it to the rock church. And somebody on staff would say, thank you for offering this sacrifice for your sins for the next year. And someone would, now this is, this is tough, but this is the way it was. Someone would cut its throat, pour the blood on 
the Ark of the Covenant to atone for the sins of the whole nation and individuals for the next year. And you'd walk out and you'd say, okay, I'm good for the year. However, what would happen is something that, that happens to all of us. As you got days and weeks and quarters and months away from that sacrifice, you'd begin asking yourself again, this is awkward. Am I, am I still okay? Uh, am I in good standing with God? I know what I did, but there are things that keep cropping up in my life that, that I keep repeating over and over again, and I'm not sure I'm going to make it to the next annual sacrifice where I can go grab another sheep, have it sacrificed, and then cover my sins for the remainder for the next year. This is awkward. This is uncomfortable. This is, this is continual pressure on my life, and sometimes we, sometimes we approach church like that. Sometimes what happens is that we may show up on a Sunday and we show up on a Sunday uh, to participate in something that I call my, my check-off-the-box uh, religion. I come on Sunday, I, I listen, participate in the music, I listen to the talk, and, and then I, and then I ch- check off my I did church box, and I'm okay till next Sunday. And Paul said, that's, that's all old stuff. That's old, that's old stuff. The, the, writer to the, he, the writer to the Hebrews goes on. He says this. For if it had produced the benefits Christ would bring, in other words, if the annual sacrifice would have produced the benefits that Christ would bring, surely the sacrifices would have been discontinued on the grounds that the worshipers having been really cleansed, would have had no further consciousness of sin. In, in other words, if the old system worked, if the old system had produced the benefits of Christ, then, then it would have, there would have been something transformational about that. There would have been something inside of us that clicked and said, there's no, there's no need for that, but, but they still had this consciousness of sin. And then the writer continues, and this is the most important part. He says this. He says in practice now listen this is important he said in practice the annual sacrifices the continuing to do this over and over and over again the sacrifices that amounted to a reminder of sins so the, the more often you do it, the more often you're reminded that I'm probably not quite worthy of standing before a holy God. For the blood of bulls and goats cannot really remove the guilt of sin. So in a nutshell, here's the old. Took a long time to get there, but here's the old. Here's the old. Oh, my apologies. But let's do let's let's do this real quick. How, how many got animals at home? How, how many have animals that periodically mess the carpet at home? All right. Yeah, we we've got we've got two. Um, we've we've got a pug we've got a pug and a cat. 
And, and periodically, they, they foul things, all right? And so we have to, we have to go in and, and, and clean it up. And we have, a, we have a carpet service that comes out, you know, period, annually and cleans our carpets. But in the meantime, in the meantime, when our animals mess, all right, we have to, we have to clean it up as best we can. We have to, you know, we have to pat it out and, you know, do, do all the soap and all that kind of stuff. And when it's all done, when it's all done, you spray on this, this thing called Stinky Winky, all right? How many know of Stinky Winky in the room? See, this, this is a valuable lesson today at the Rock Church, all right? This is a valuable lesson. Stinky Winky um, is, is so after the spot is cleaned and after it's been fouled, is that you take the Stinky Winky and you spray the Stinky Winky uh, on the area that you cleaned up. And what's supposed to happen is that the Stinky Winky uh, uh, puts on this odor that makes the animals stay away from it. In, in, in other words, they no longer go back to where the, and do and foul it in the same spot. But what they will do is that they will go by and they'll smell it periodically. And you, and you know what happens when they smell the stinky winky? It reminds them of their foul behavior. Now, here's the point. See, when, when we offer sacrifices over and over again, if we were still to do that, all it's doing is reminding us of our foul behavior. And Paul said, that's, that's all gone. We don't have to play that stinky, winky game anymore. So here's the, here's the old. In, in the old way of doing things, all people used to offer repetitive sacrifices for the temporary covering of sin. That was the old system. All, all, all the blood of the animals did was cover your sin until the next time it was time to offer a sacrifice. And then Paul continues in 2 Corinthians. He says, he says this, as his personal reconciliation representatives, we, talking about other apostles, and in this case, I, say make your peace with God. In, in other words, the, the, since the old stuff is gone, since the old stuff is gone, what do we do? There's a couple of verses in between where Paul says we, we are now ministers of reconciliation. And, and here he says, as his personal reconciliation representative. Why was he a personal representative? Be, because Paul had spent personal time with the resurrected Jesus. We know from the book of Galatians, he spent three years in the wilderness where Jesus taught him. And, and so he's, he's saying now, I have the responsibility, but I also have the authority now to talk to you about this reconciliation issue. And you know what reconciliation means? 
Reconciliation is an accounting term. It means when you reconcile your books, you balance your books. When it's all said and done, the, the books are reconciled, the books are balanced. And what Paul is saying, now's, now's your time. It used to be that the old system required this. Now's the time to settle the account. Now's, now's the time to balance your books. Now's the time to make peace with God. He's, he's really saying this. He says, let's settle this once and for all. And that's what I want to do. See, this morning, this morning, uh, I'm a personal reconciliation representative. And before we take communion this morning, as a remembrance of the new, I think it would be appropriate to know what the new is. Because it has come and the old has gone away. And, and, and so what, what, Paul, what Paul is saying is since I, I personally spent three years with the risen Jesus Christ, I have some things I want to share with you. And, and this is what he says. He says, for God called, caused Christ who himself knew nothing of sin. Did you know that, that's, that this is what this cross is all about? This, this, this cross is, is all about someone who hung on it for a period of time and died because they became sin for us. See, it says, it says, Jesus knew nothing of sin. In other words, it wasn't, it wasn't in his DNA. It wasn't in his character. It wasn't in his makeup. It wasn't in who he was as an individual. It wasn't who he was as a person. He had no sin nature. He had two natures. He had the, he had the nature of a human, and he also had the nature of God. He, he, he had duality of citizenship. He was also he was a citizen of heaven, and he was also a citizen of, of this earth for a period of time. And it says, actually, to be sin for our sake. So what's, what's happened is that, is that on this cross, on this cross, someone who was completely unlike us, who knew nothing of sin. God caused him to hang here and die. Why? Because that's what sin produces. It produces death. And so God's, God's saying, I want, I want the reality of this and Paul is saying, I want the reality of this as a, as a personal representative of God the Father who sent his son who knew nothing of sin to become sin for our benefit. And it says right here, so that in Christ we might be made good with the goodness of God. That, that you and I might be made good. Now it didn't say so that you and I might be made perfect. It says so that you and I might be made good. And you know what that means? It's like asking someone in a relationship, are we good? Have you ever done that? Are you, I do it a lot. I say, are, are we good? Is, there, is everything okay between us? Uh, has there been 
Is there reconciliation? Has there been a balancing of the books? Has there been this once and for all? Have we talked it through? Are we good? And and Paul, Paul is saying, so that you might have the goodness of God. Now, how in the world does that happen? How does it happen? It, it, it happens through imputation. There's a word for you. New word at the rock. Imputation. It, it happens because God has literally, through his son, injected goodness into our lives. If, if we have faith and trust in his life, burial, death, and resurrection. He, it's imputed in us. It's given to us as good. I, I don't know how, how many, how many um, like to inject meat to in, flavor enhance it when they barbecue? How many meat injector flavor enhancer people do we have? Not many. So see, you're getting a lot of lessons today. Instant pot and and injection of meat. See, you can, you can get these devices that take a regular, ordinary slab of meat and you can inject it with certain flavor fluids to enhance its overall goodness. It's enhancing its overall taste. And actually what's happened, you know, the transaction of the cross is there's been an imputation of God's goodness in us. Look, look, look at this. Look at this cross. What does it cast? Let me say it again. What is it? What is it? What does it cast? It casts a shadow. What, what is it? A shadow of? It, it's the shadow of. It's the shadow of Christ at one time, hanging here, dying here, in His perfection, so that we could have imputed in us the goodness of Him. Look, look at this. That's what's happened. See, if God is the light behind me, it's projecting on the cross, and the shadow of the cross is projecting on my back, which means that the transaction of the cross has been imputed to me, which means now that I have a good standing with God. What did I have to do? I, I, didn't have to, I didn't have to give anything. I didn't have to serve. I didn't have to ask if my behavior's been good enough. I didn't have to ask whether or not my history, uh, my personal choices had in some way um, in, in made it impossible for God to have a relationship with me. Paul, Paul just says, stand there. Accept the imputation by faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone, that creates your standing before God. And when we take communion, when we take communion, what we're saying is, is, that, is that we understand the transaction. That, that we understand that no longer is the old in place, but the new is in place. And, then, and, then, and the new is revolutionary because the new is a sacrifice offered once for all, providing permanent 
cleansing from sin. Permanent cleansing from sin. See, in a, in a few minutes, you're, you're going to be invited to come and participate in communion. It's, it's called the bread, and it's called the cup. It's called the Eucharist. It's called the Lord's Supper. There are a lot of different names for it. But what, but what Paul wants us to know is that participate in it for the right reason. Participate in it be, because you've been called through the cross, because you know your sins have been forgiven, because you've confessed your sins and you know he's faithful and true to forgive you of your sins and purify you from all the things that didn't make you good once before. Now, uh, let me be candid with you. There's, there's a lot of talk of perfect. And God, God is not talking about perfect here in you. He's talking about perfect in his son. And his perfection, his perfection, you know, imputed to us through the cross makes us good with God. In other words, the relationship is established. But are you and I going to... Um, misbehave occasionally? Are you going to misbehave occasionally? Yeah. Is your attitude going to be not so hot periodically? Is your approach in some areas of your life need to be worked on? Yeah. Is your sense of worth going to be questioned in your own mind at times? The answer is yes. But remember, the cross doesn't make you perfect. It just makes you good with God. And God, since you're good with me, continue to work out some of these things in your life. He's not expecting perfection. He's, he's expecting us to understand that the relationship exists because of the cross and that he's going to continue it because of the cross. And communion can be tricky. And it, it shouldn't be. Com communion is relatively easy and straightforward. And, and, here's, and here's why. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut to the chase and make it as simple as I possibly can. There's, there's two parts to it. There's the bread and there's the cup. And some, some faiths teach that the bread and the cup, if you take them, that the bread and the cup establish the relationship with God. And we don't teach that. And the reason we don't teach that is because if the bread and the cup 
establish the relationship with God, then the relationship with God would have been established by works, by doing something. And that's, that's the old way. Some, some faiths still teach today that, that you're in when you've done enough. And what we teach here is that enough has already been done, and it's been done on your behalf. So don't, don't take the bread and don't take the cup because you believe that it's going to establish the relationship. It, it doesn't. N- number two is some people take the bread and some people take the cup because they think the bread and the cup maintain the relationship, and they don't. The, the relationship with God isn't maintained because you participate in, in communion. The, the relationship with God is, is maintained on his end. Because if the bread and the cup maintain the relationship, what would ha- be happening is that we would be going back to the old way. We would be going back to the old system of sacrifices that I've got to take the bread and I've got to take the cup and that maintains the relationship and I'll be good with God until the next time I have communion wherever I have communion. This, this is the reality. And this is what Paul was writing about. The bread and the cup don't establish the relationship. They don't maintain the relationship. They're a reminder of the relationship. They're a reminder. They're a reminder of how the relationship was established at the cross and who maintains the relationship, which is Christ. He's the one because he's resurrected. He's the one that stands at the right hand of God. He's the one, in spite of your not knowing it, maybe at the time, he's, he's the one that's continually pleading your case before a heavenly father. He's, he's the one that when art might get out of bounds from an attitude perspective, he's right there at God's right hand saying, remember, remember art's attitude, you know, gets a little bit foul once in a while, but remember the relationship that I established with you for him? Re- remember that art occasionally can get out of bounds in certain areas and and remember that it's his grace, that it's your son's grace that continually calls him back. That's the song that we sang earlier, Holy Water. So this is, this is the call this morning. The call this morning is, God is saying, don't, don't let the old system keep you in your seats because it's not about that. It's not about good enough. It's not about done enough. It's not about behaved in the right way. It's about an establishment of a relationship where you're a child of God and you're gonna celebrate that relationship and then continue to still work things out in your life. So if that's you this morning, if you're you're someone that understands the transaction of the cross, that, that goodness was imputed into you because you confessed your sins and you knew he was faithful and just to forgive your sins, then remember the relationship. 
come forward, take a bread, take a cup, and return to your seat. And, and we'll all not participate, but celebrate together. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you so much that the old has gone and that the new has come. We are so anxious to remember the establishment of a relationship that can never be broken. Once it's established, we're in it for eternity. And we thank you for that, and we praise you for it. And we ask this in the precious and holy name of your son, Jesus. Amen. If you would, go ahead and stand, and everybody, no matter where you are, exit to your right. I think, um, I think the Apostle Paul said it best in, in one of the verses we talked about earlier. As, as God's personal reconciliation representative, Paul said that about himself. And so I'm going to say that about myself this morning. In some fashion, God has said this morning that you be the personal reconciliation representative for me. And so my responsibility then is to say, then, then let's settle this once and for all. Jesus said at the Passover meal, let's settle this once and for all. I'm instituting a new command. This bread is my body given for you. And what he was saying is that is that he didn't know any sin, but he said, I'm willing to give up my perfect life so that you can be looked at as good before my heavenly Father. And, and so it, it took his body to do that. And so that's why we'll take the bread, is that it's, it's a, it isn't his body. It, it doesn't maintain the relationship. It doesn't establish the relationship. We're only taking this bread as a reminder of, of the body that was sacrificed for us. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for that picture and we each and all take the bread once for all, knowing that it's a picture of the once for all sacrifice that your son made. And we thank you in your son's precious name. Amen. Go ahead and take the bread. In God's economy, there not only had to be perfection, which Christ was, perfection had to die in our imperfect place. And so the cup represents a picture of Jesus' blood. It's, it's the blood that was shed once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that you would know and understand and embrace the goodness of God. And it can only happen at one place, and it only happened at one time, and it only happened 
with Christ so that we, through his blood, could be in him, in Christ. And it's a picture of your understanding that taking the bread and taking the cup, the relationships established, I want to remember it. But I also know that I have some responsibilities from this point forward to maybe live in a different way because of his goodness and grace. So would you take the cup? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the cup representing the shed blood of your son that really was the imputation factor in our lives. We thank you for that. We praise you for it. And we know that it can only happen in one way. And that's because it happened through grace alone, through Christ alone, by faith alone. And that makes us children of God. Stand with me this morning. We're going to sing one more song on the way out. And it's appropriate. It's fitting and it's true because it's all about this morning. It's in Christ alone.